1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Ultra Stories. You're listening to the Ultra Stories podcast, episode number 83, brought to you by the Human Potential Running Series. I'm your host, Human Potential Running Series owner and race director, John LaCroix. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the program. It's great to have your ears. Hey, you know, um, this is episode 83. We started producing this show back in October 2017 Halloween of 2017 was our first release and since then this is now our 83rd episode and in that time we've had over 78,000 unique downloads of this program to various platforms uh, and that's huge that's a big number uh, and so I want to thank all of you who listen and in, listen into this show uh, on a periodic basis on a weekly basis uh, hell even on a one-off basis thank you so much. ...for listening to this show and making it way bigger than I ever thought uh, that it could be. But I I really want to take a moment to thank our friends uh, elsewhere. I know a lot of you who are listening are here in the United States. We are listened to in all 50 U.S. states. But we've also been listened to in 97 different countries around the world. And no, Iran and North Korea are not one of them. Um, But the three biggest countries besides the United States for listeners is Canada the United Kingdom, and Australia. And so I I just want to take a moment to thank our friends in Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia for listening in. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this show um, from where you are. And I really hope that what you hear on this program helps you and better informs your ultra-running in the culture that you ultra-run with, with your tribe. Uh, I also hope that perhaps you've learned a little bit about ultra running here in the united states and as with anything in the united states there's all kinds of drama and there's controversy and there's opinions and there's democracy and there's not democracy and um you know it's 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 an interesting thing it's an interesting hobby it's an inter- interesting place i know it's vastly different in other places around the world and so i can, really I look i can't thank you enough for listening into this program, and not just you th- in in other countries, everybody. Thank you so much. This, this program has become much bigger than I ever thought it would become from the beginning. 78,000 unique downloads. That doesn't account for people who just simply stream the episodes and don't download them to their phone. This only counts. This is only a count of people who download an episode to their device. It doesn't count streaming. So... 78,000 unique downloads. Thank you. Really, I appreciate it. I've got a great interview this week. It's with a guy named Adam McRoberts. Adam is originally from the Upper Midwest. He now lives here in Colorado. He's been here a few years now, uh, and he started a new business venture called Big Things Crewing. And... I'm really excited to bring this interview to you, not only so that we can hear Adam's really fascinating story, but we can hear more about his business and what they uh, plan to do moving forward and how you guys can be involved. Uh, so we'll get to that. But of course, before we get there, we have a little bit of housekeeping. Next week on this program, which you know we'll call it January 21st, 22nd, 2020, we're returning back to talking about Stories Ultra. Uh, if you don't know, this entire pod- podcast came to be uh, around the idea of this event called Stories Ultra. Stories Ultra is a one of its kind, unique timed event here in Colorado. It's in Colorado Springs at Cheyenne Mountain State Park on Saturday, February 8th. We have a 30 hour, 15 hour, and six hour timed ultra. Now, what makes this different is most times you go to a timed event and there's a pond or a track or a warning track around a baseball field or whatever. It's just some lame quarter mile that you do repeats around. And it sounds just mind-numbingly boring to me. Like, seriously, give me a wooden spoon so I can gouge my eyes out. It sounds horrible. But this event, we've got five different colored loops. Red, green, blue, and purple. And if you're in the 30 or 15 hour, you'll run red, green, blue, and purple. Excuse me. Red, green, blue, and purple in succession. And then you'll start over again back at red and continue the process. Red, green, blue, and purple until you're done writing or time is up. However, every loop ends with a golden hour, and that's the golden loop. It's the shortest loop. It's like .67 miles long. And for the last hour, your job is to just rack up as many last-minute miles as you can on that loop. If you're in the sixth hour, you just alternate between red and green. There's also a golden hour for you at the end of your race. Now, we also put an existential or thought-provoking question on the back of your bib, and you are tasked with the job of thinking about that question on the back of your bib in the hopes that you'll come in... To our little recording studio there at the race and answer your question for this podcast. Now, in a perfect world, every runner would have an answer and every runner would come in and give me 10 minutes of their time and we'll talk. But that doesn't really happen. I think I get maybe 25, 20 people at most who want to talk at this race. And so, you know, we've tried to bring together these interviews of people from the race, and then we talk about what they're talking about. And that's what we're going to do next week on this show. We're going to return back to stories as we gear up for Stories 2020. There's still plenty of room in the race. If you want to guarantee yourself a T-shirt or finishers award, uh, you need to register uh, before January 28th. On that day, I make my final order for T-shirts and awards. Make sure that everybody who signed up in time gets one. Uh, Our award for this race is another truly unique finishers award. Thanks to our friends at Elevation Culture down in San Diego. You can go to the Human Potential Running Series Facebook page and Twitter. uh, I don't know if it's on Twitter, Instagram, and that would be HP Running Series on all three of those platforms. You can see a picture of the award for this year if that interests you. Uh, So give it a look-see. Um, Hey, sign up for the race. It's going to be a great time. We have a theme for every race moving forward. Uh, This theme, the theme for stories is when we were kids. And we have our HPRS ambassadors have worked on a plan to kind of implement that theme into the race. Remember when we were kids. And things that we've talked about are things like finger painting, um, meeting a stranger and just – picking up to play like you just met that person you you remember when you were a kid you just met strangers and played with them Uh, we also have the girl scouts coming out to sell girl scout cookies i shit you not this is going to be an awesome time we're deep frying two turkeys Uh, we've we've got a few more slots open for folks if you want to volunteer the volunteer program at the human potential running series is one of the most generous in our sport we're paying ten dollars an hour in HPRS race credits for you to use towards any one of our future races for hours worked as a volunteer at our races. If you work the overnight, that would be ten p.m. to six a.m. Any work done between those hours earns you twenty dollars an hour in race credits. If you do eight or if you do over eight hours of volunteer work at a race, we give you a forty dollar bonus. Um, come on out in any capacity as a runner or a volunteer or just somebody that wants to be a kid for the day, please. Come and join us. You can check out all of our offerings on our website, www.humanpotentialrunning.com. Please do check us out. We have 10 races that span the entire calendar year. We are the largest ultra series in Colorado and the fourth largest in the United States. All right. That's it for the uh, lovely um, (laughs) pre-gaming to start. Um, So... Uh let's, let's just get to our interview. Again, I interviewed Adam McRoberts. Adam is an ultra runner originally from the upper Midwest. He lives here in Colorado, just started a new business called Big Things Crewing. Of course, we get into how he got into running, how he got into ultra running, and ultimately how he's kind of found his way towards owning a running-related business. Really great episode. I had an awesome time talking with this guy. Uh, I'm excited to bring it to you. So without any further ado, Adam, please take us for a run. <laughs> From the cat capital of Arvada, Colorado, I'm here with Adam McRoberts. Hello. Hey, Adam.
0: How are you doing?
1: Good, man. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for deciding to come and spend some time with me for the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Great to be here. First question
0: I always ask everybody is how you got into running. Uh, all right. Um, that's uh, a question that's not super easily answered. That's so all. We got time. Okay. We got time. All right. Um, this is
1: called Ultra Stories. So, yes.
0: Yeah. Give us a story. Yes. Um. So. Um. I guess running, the idea of running probably started for me with my dad when I was a kid. Um, my dad was a firefighter, and uh, he had to stay pretty fit for his job. So he was really into cycling when I was a kid. And uh, so I remember in grade school, like, handing off water bottles to him at bicycle races in the town that we lived in. We lived in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin, a little town in the Midwest. And... um I just thought it was cool. You know, it was just something that my dad did, and I appreciated it. And then um, later on, he um, ended up going and doing a race in, uh, I think it's northern Wisconsin. It's called the Berkebeiner. It's a Mm cross-country ski race, 50 50 kilometers, I believe. And uh, he went and did it with a buddy of his. And as a kid, I just remember thinking, like, okay, so my dad's taking his time off from work to go and do this humongous race that, you know, he trained for, and sounds like a big deal, and, you know, he did it, he finished it, he came home, and I remember asking him about it, I was like, how was it, and uh, he he just kind of shook his head, and he said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done, and I just thought that was cool, I just thought that it it just seemed cool to me to take time off work and for an adult male to find a buddy of his from another work to go to this race to do the hardest thing he ever did. I just thought it was cool. So in a way, I think that that's sort of what planted the seed initially when I was a kid. And um, in a way, I've sort of been looking for the hardest thing I've ever done since then. Have you found it? I have found many hard things for me, for sure. Um, yeah. So when did you actually, you know, did you start running as a kid, and you
1: ran in high school, or
0: yeah, very little? Um, so, like I said, that's kind of what planted the seed, and then uh, my path meandered uh, um, onto uh, different paths, and on back to the same path, and on and off that path several times to finally find my way to running. So, um, yeah. So I remember my dad doing those races when I was a kid, and then um, life. Sort of took a turn for us For me and my family So I lived in a midwestern town In a blue collar town It was a General Motors town uh, Janesville, Wisconsin And um, um, I uh, lived in a Christian family And um, my my parents uh, were born again Christians And we started going to this new church When I was in about fourth grade And our life sort of Kind of went down a different path From that point on And um so my parents sacrificed really hard to put me and my sister in private school, and I completely embraced this lifestyle as a kid. You know, I thought it was fantastic. You know, my parents came and sort of taught us this thing, and I and I felt like we were in this sort of inside group, you know. And my life sort of became consumed with... Um, this born again christian uh church private school all, all my friends were were a part of this in one way or another i was attending church like a few times a week and so it was pretty much my entire life and you know as a kid i loved it i embraced it i was all about it i i thought it was fantastic and um you know um so growing up as a kid i was kind of an art kid um was into the art classes and um you know, eventually grew up in this private school. And as you grow up, you start thinking your own thoughts, coming up with your own ideas, asking your own hard questions. And uh, I started to see some hypocrisy, not necessarily with my family, not at all with my family. Like I said, my family was a very loving family. But I am now an ultra runner. Even as a kid, I took my personality to the extreme I took everything to the extreme that's just kind of part of my personality which is which is probably why I run long races now but uh um so yeah even as a kid I was just taking this thing to an extreme and uh so eventually I just started seeing some flaws in it uh some things I didn't necessarily agree with and um you know, eventually went to public school and kind of started going out on my own path. And, um, you know, that was a difficult path. Uh, kind of breaking away from my family and the church and almost all my friends and, and making new friends uh set me off on... Um, it was a tough path. Like, it brought a lot of guilt and shame. Shame, and yeah. Yeah, just... Uh, a lot of a lot of programming that I was trying to shed that I didn't really know that's exactly what I was going through and it was just a confusing time. So, um, yeah. So that's so did, kind of how it all started. So, is, <laughs> so did running become like your saving grace in I a lot forgive, of ways? Forgive the term. but Yes, yes. It,
1: it was. Did it become the place that you could go and think through? what you had been spoon-fed for all this time and and kind of reconcile with what you personally believed? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So, um So, as I got out of high school and kind of went on my own path of just like you know, uh, kind of your standard Midwestern guy. Uh, you know, you get a job, you kind of, you, you, it's a manual labor type job. You're drinking a lot at night and it's just kind of a cycle and it just kind of becomes almost all consuming. And, you know, a few years went by that way and I wasn't really, I think I was avoiding, uh, the, those thoughts and those questions more than anything. But then, um, in about 2000 or so, I started slowly kind of waking up. Like, I almost had sort of a spiritual awakening of my own. How old were you then? Uh, what was I, 25? it sounds about right. Yeah. So, I was just kind of, you know, coming into my own, I guess. Um, so, it, it was almost like a spiritual awakening, like a metaphysical awakening. Like, I just... Um, I mean, looking back now, that that was definitely a turning point in my life, so, so I feel like that was when I started to wake up, and I just started to realize that I wanted to do bigger things with my life. I wanted to help people. I want to inspire people, and if that is through running, or I've been into martial arts in my life, and I just literally wanted to start doing big big things with my life. And, um, you know, one way or another, I knew that that was a path to inspire people, to help people. And, um, you know, I mean, what can be better than that? That's what it's all about.
1: Before I ask my next question, I have to ask you to say the word bag. Bag. Say say it again. Bag. 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 Not bag. Big. Uh Do you call a hotel a hodel ever? Never. Okay. I'm enamored with your accent.
0: Making fun (laughs) of my Midwest accent.
1: You know Jeremy Ebel? I know of him. He's he's got some funny words. He's from that
0: neck of the woods. Is he from Wisconsin? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, sure is, yeah. Yeah. Hey there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You betcha. Yeah. Yeah. You betcha. That that one will slip out once in a while. Oh, just a regular guy.
1: (laughs) So... When did you become an ultra marathon runner?
0: So, I have a little timeline here because I'm really bad at dates. I ran my first ultra in.
1: Let's see here. Right, so it? he's actually yes. looking at a notebook. I am. I, I, with I am yes, dates. I have notes. You prepared for this?
0: Sort of. Just with the timeline because <laughs> I'm really bad at dates. So my so first good. ultra was 2010. I ran my first marathon in 2008 and first ultra in 2010. What was your first marathon? Uh, it was the Madison Marathon in Wisconsin? What'd you think? Uh, I thought it was great. Um, I went really slow, and it was just—I was just trying to make it to the finish line. And um, you know, I—I I, I succeeded. I made it to the finish line. Um, I had no expectations, no time goals. Um, I ne- I didn't know if I'd ever do a marathon or anything further after that. All I wanted to do was finish that race, and I finished it. So I was happy. That was great.
1: And your first ultra, which?
0: Um, so that was a fun run during the Kettle Moraine 100 miler. So during the Kettle 100, they have a fun run at night where you can run, I think it's 60 kilometers, right around 38 miles. And you run through the night with most of these hundred milers that are, you know, running through the night, walking through the night, struggling. And at the time I was just enamored with people who were able to run a hundred mile distance. And to me, it was just fascinating to be on the same course with them and talk with them and just literally just watch them from afar. And just, I was like, holy cow, I can't believe these people that look Pretty normal are able to do this. It just blew me away. It's just fascinated. So you ran this
1: this kettle moraine fun run, and it was a fifty k. And I I always like to think that some of the worst ideas (laughs) are really the best ideas to run ultras come from helping out or just being present at an ultra, and it, it it has this way of getting your gears turning towards what is possible. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds like that's what happened
0: for you. Absolutely. So what was your first official race? Official uh, ultra, ultra yeah. was, uh, I want to say it was Dances with Dirt 50K in um, Wisconsin. I'm pretty sure that was my first. That was one of the first like Dances with Dirt. I remember when
1: they came on the scene because yeah. they were like one of the first real race directing companies that had, like, their own, besides Leadville. Like, Mm -hmm. they were one of the first companies that had, like, a legitimate series.
0: Yeah. I think they had, like, Do they have four races?
1: Yeah, they were in, like, Indiana and...
0: In Hell, Michigan.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember, like, they were all over Trail Running Magazine back in that time era. Yep. And so, anytime I hear Dances dances with Dirt come up, Mm -hmm. it brings me back to, like, my... Man, that was like early in my ultra running when they were. I think they're still
0: around. They're still around, aren't they're they? still around yeah. but they're
1: not like the top cat and no, trail no. and like yeah. they used to be. Like they, at first, they were like the first big company, and, and now, those
0: races were stout at the time. Yeah, it's like you know, whoa, that's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough fifty miler if you're doing one of their races. I know the courses have changed a couple of times since the beginning, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, that first Dances with Dirt course was super tough. It went above um, Devil's Lake in Wisconsin, above I think both bluffs on both sides of the lake, and there was a lot of climbing for being Wisconsin trails. It was it was legit, and I think they had to change the course a couple of times since then, though. <laughs> that happens a lot more than people think. That's part of it, yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, you, it, at two thousand, you you said you were twenty five. Mm-hmm. And so, five years after that, mm-hmm. you found your way to ultra running. Did ultra marathon running in any way continue to inform your mind's evolution towards your beliefs, your personal beliefs?
0: Definitely. As far as, like, personal spiritual beliefs?
1: Yeah, you know, we, you were telling us a story about how you grew up in this. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And do you know what the domination of Christianity,
0: the... Church was yeah, yeah well, it was Baptist so okay. um I mean it was pretty fundamentalist Christian you know and and um you know the, when people hear that they get a bad taste in their mouth and I totally understand it and my experience there was was nothing but good and nothing but loving my parents were nothing but loving. Like I said, I'm an extremist, and even as a kid in the church, I was pushing those boundaries to extremes. What were you questioning first? Like, uh, what were the things that... Uh, well, I mean, as far as the validity of the, <laughs> the religion, or... Yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, you you well, were saying
1: it's like you were starting to see that just some things aren't, uh, yeah, yeah. you know...
0: So I remember as a kid, like, you know, we would watch these, like, films on evolution versus creation, you know, and then... So I would wonder, where do the the dinosaurs fit into the the story of creation? They're not really in that story, you know? So I would ask people that, and then, uh, you know, I would ask my parents, and they'd say, well, I don't know, let's go ask the pastor. And we would go ask the pastor, and, you know, it was these questions that nobody really had answers to, so that is what started to open up my eyes. And then, um, you know, It was just other random things, too. Like, at my private school, we would, they would, on Chapel Day, we would watch these movies on how rock and roll music is all evil, and it's of the devil, and, (laughs) like, if if you play it backwards, it says, worship Satan, and ACDC stands for Antichrist, Devil Child, and, I mean, when you're an eighth grade kid watching this stuff, it, you, it's literally just turning you on to it rather than turning you off to it. And so I became enamored with rock and roll music, outrated movies, all these things I wasn't really supposed to be into. And it, it you remind me, when I was in
1: eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, I was in public school. Yeah. But we played Magic the Gathering. Okay. And yes. we had a club after school, Magic the Gathering yeah. Club. Yeah. It's just a card game. For sure but the town that i grew up in manchester new hampshire at the time this is the mid 90s they actually the city council voted to approve a ban on magic the gathering as an an acceptable game for children to play at school because of its demonic overtones ah, mm-hmm. and like but we're in public school we weren't even in right right a, a catholic school and so I guess I'm kind of empathizing with you in a way that I I, I can see the hypocrisy and the, yeah. you know, like a couple of weeks ago we saw a meme online and it was Moses spent 40 years walking the desert, but Google tells us it only takes six days to walk <laughs> the distance <laughs> that he supposedly walked in 40 years. You know.
0: Well, he did have a lot of people with him.
1: <laughs> so was it the act of running an ultra and having the time alone to think? To think your own thoughts that continued that evolution, or was it the conversation with others that you have in an ultra?
0: Um, Probably the time to myself. Um, I mean, I'm an introverted person, uh, or I've sort of become an introverted person throughout the years. I enjoy running by myself. I do most of my training by myself. Uh, So when I do run with someone, you know, it's kind of a treat, and I enjoy it. Uh, But, yeah, during all that time by myself – I really enjoyed getting into my own head, figuring out who I am, figuring where where my limits are, and um, you know, sort of wrestling with my demons, and I did a lot of that through the first few years of ultra running for sure. And
1: you know, I So you you ran this 50k and then you ran dances with dirt. Mm-hmm. Did you, are you somebody that slowly worked your way up through the distances or did you just go right for a hundred miles? Like,
0: yes, I slowly worked my way up. So from there, I think, uh, I did the North Face 50 mile, Wisconsin edition, Wisconsin. Yep. And then I waited a full year and ran my first hundred K, which was at Kettle Moraine as well. They have, they have a hundred K as well as a hundred mile. And then you know, I'm up to the big year. The next year, it's going to be 100-mile or so. I signed up for Kettle Moraine 100, and then a couple months later, I did Leadville 100. And those are my first 200-mile races.
1: Well, this is an interesting question, then. Is, is there, did you notice a difference between Leadville and Kettle Moraine and how oh, the God. races were put on? And this was oh. back in what year, by the way?
0: Uh, so, I have it written down right here. Let's see. That was 2012.
1: So, 2012. So, now we're two years into lifetime Owning Leadville, it's right before the 2013, the the infamous 2013 year. So they were still on their journey through their growth. What were the big differences that you saw between those two events? And did that inform your personal beliefs in regards to the types of races that you are going to run and support moving forward?
0: Well, okay, so I picked Leadville because I felt like I had sort of a special relationship with it. So going back a little bit, um, there was a time in my life where, like I said, I felt like I was kind of waking up and wanted to go out and do these big things, but I wasn't really exactly sure what and just wanted to go out and try some stuff. So one of the, uh, at one point in my life, I quit my job and I came out here to Colorado to climb all the 14ers. That was kind of a loose goal of mine. And so I lived in my truck for a couple months and ended up climbing like 47 or 48 of the peaks in that two-month time. And um, so while I was out here doing that, I happened to be camping in Leadville one day, and I woke up and was going to climb Mount Albert, but it was pouring rain that day. And I thought, oh man, I'm tired, it's pouring rain, I'm just going to go into town and get some breakfast. And so I drove into this little town of Leadville, which I really knew nothing about at this time. And as I'm driving into town, it's raining, it's storming up in the mountains, and I see hundreds of people running up into the storm. And I had no idea what was going on. And I'm looking at these people, and I see like... You know some of them are sort of athletic looking, but then I see like these augmented, like s- like skinny old men and overweight word. women, and I'm just like, What is happening? But they look, you know, legit like whatever they're doing, they're going up into a storm in the mountains. This must be serious. And you know, I go into town and I start asking around what's happening today, and they're like, Oh, this is the Leadville 100. And at the time, I had never heard of it. And I'm like, 100 mile run in the mountains, it just blew my mind. And uh, you know, at the time, I it just, I was fascinated with it. It stuck in my mind for a long time. So yeah, fast forward a couple years later. So I do the Kettle Marine in 2012. I do the Kettle Marine 100. It's my first 100. Um, I have no expectations. I just want to finish this thing. And I thought the race was put on really well. Everybody there is very friendly. I had uh, great support crew pacers and then um, went out to Leadville and the race is huge. Uh, there's like 800 people running. There's only three or 400 people that finish. It was just humongous. But, you know, I had already built up this sort of relationship with the town of Leadville and building up to that race. So I, Leadville will always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, a lot of people dog on it for a lot of different reasons. There's so many people, there's some road running. But for me, that race is special. I'll always love it. And um, it was a fantastic experience for me. And then um,
1: what what were the big differences between your Leadville experience and Kettle Moraine?
0: Well, uh, so Kettle Moraine was, you know, like I said, that was my first hundred. And I just wanted to grind it out and get to the finish line. I had no expectations. I didn't know. What sort of hell I was going to go into during this thing and it was a tough tough race But you know when I got to the end of my first hundred miler what I realized was That I don't have anything special. We all have the ability to do this thing. I knew for a hundred percent fact like Okay, I finished this race, but you know this has nothing to do with me I am just a human and we all have the ability to do this if we want to not everyone wants to run that far and I totally get it but This is just something, like, we're able to do this. Everybody can tap into this ability if you want to. So that's what inspired me. And then when I went to Leadville, I had a host of uh, different problems during that race uh, that particular day. Like, for instance... uh, When I got to the, uh, I think it's Twin Lakes Aid Station at mile 40, and then you come back through there at mile 60, um, I had a drop bag there with all my essential gear in, shoes, compression, jacket, food, everything. And I'm going to be coming through this spot at mile 40 and 60, so it was a key drop bag for me. And then, uh, you know, I show up, and I tell them my name and my number, and they can't find my drop bag. like, you're kidding me. They're like, no, we can't find it anywhere. I'm like, well, all right, let me come back and help you look. So I'm 40 miles into the race, helping the volunteers dig through drop bags. We're going through hundreds of them, and they don't have my drop bag. And, you know, for me, this is my first big mountain race. We're about to go up over a huge mountain pass. I don't even have a jacket. I'm pretty much down to just what I have on my back now and food at aid stations. And... You know, I mean, you can look at that as at a from a couple of different points of view. Let's do that. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, the first voice that crept into my head is, well, I mean, this is it, man. You can't go any further than this. You don't have your gear, you know? There's no way you can go over this mountain pass without a jacket and, you know, these shoes are, you know, you have extra shoes in that bag that are missing, compression, like I said, everything I needed. So for a split second, I was like, well, I'm done. I got to find my Pacers. Did you ever find out what happened to the bag? Never. <laughs> it just disappeared. Did you get it back? Never got it back. I wrote Leadville and they apologized, but they never found it. <laughs> you know, so people need to understand like this.
1: I'm going to jump into this from yeah, the race yeah. director's oh, perspective I'd like to hear it. now.
0: I'm sure it happens. And it does happen. I, I hold nothing against Leadville, of course, but. Um, yeah. And. Look,
1: man, there's a lot of runners at that race. And so they rely on volunteers Mm -hmm. to shuttle those drop bags wherever they need to go. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, when you leave your drop bag off at a race and they are going to be transported to whatever aid station they go to, they're picked up by volunteers. Mm -hmm. And volunteers could be you or me. And we're just filling our car with these bags. We're hucking them in, hucking them in, hucking them in. And then off you go the whole volunteer will drive to that aid station and then they unload all the drop
0: bags driving down a bumpy four wheel drive road
1: correct yeah. and at the end of the day it is a very real possibility and it happens more often than people think that your drop bag may have wiggled under a seat or mm-hmm. down into the crack between seats or
0: fallen off the truck somewhere s- along you the you just got
1: dropped or somebody picked it up mistaking it for their own like somebody bailed out of the race, maybe you have the same drop bag. Mm-hmm. And so now somebody else has picked up your drop bag accidentally. And, you know, if a, if it got wiggled into the cracks behind a seat or something in someone's car, three weeks post-race is when they finally found it. <laughs> and when they do find it, it's, well, I'm not going to know what to do with this now, so what's the next thing they do? They do the Jameel Khoury, and I don't know if you've watched Jameel with their – They just go into drop bags and eat whatever's in it. No way! (laughs) It doesn't matter how old it is or moldy or whatever. Okay. Um, people rifle through your drop bag and they just, well, it's mine now. I can
0: use these shoes. That's my size. Yeah. Oh, look at
1: this rain jacket or (laughs) this houdini jacket or you know whatever. Like this stuff happens a lot, and so that's why races are telling you that we're not responsible for lost or stolen items, be it from another runner or a volunteer or Whoever, like this stuff happens. And so so back to the race, your your drop bag's not there. And obviously you continued.
0: Yes. To, how did you s- switch your mindset in that moment? To, well, see, that's the thing. For a split second, like I said, I, I went down the road of, well... I'm uh, done. I'm done. Yeah. I mean, but you can't go any further because you don't have your gear. But then the next second, I just started smiling to myself. And I thought, well... I signed up for a hard race, and it just got harder, so I can just keep going and find out. And so I just kept grinding it out. And um, listen, it didn't go perfect. I ended up having to borrow a pair of shoes from some guy at an aid station because mine were falling apart. And, you know, who's got a pair of size 11s I can borrow? Dude says, I have these Adidas from Target that are size 11 in my trunk. Perfect, man. Can I borrow them? He's like, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm borrowing these shoes that, of course, give me the most horrendous blisters of all time, and so I make it to, like, mile 80 or so, and I tell my pacer, hey, Marty, man, I got to pull over and get these uh, rocks out of my shoes. And so I take my shoes off, and they're not rocks. They are blisters the size of rocks on the bottom of my feet. And so, you know, I mean, we pretty much had to hike it back into the finish line into town, but that's what you signed up for. That's just part of it. You know, I mean, to overcome the adversity with whatever comes your way, whether it's bad weather, borrowing someone else's shoes or gear, just it's whatever it takes to get to that finish line. And luckily that day I had that mindset of just whatever it takes. And um, another good strategy that I had employed that day is my friends had kind of drove out on their own dime and slept on floors and camps to come out to see me. You don't want to the waste their line. time, money, or anything. No, yeah. I would have felt horrible if I wouldn't have made it to the finish line for their sake. So that was a big driving force for me too. So I just had that whatever it takes attitude and eventually just kind of walked it into the finish line and we made it that day.
1: So I'm going to, this is all kinds of good transition here, but I want to circle back to the beginning first. For sure. I see some beads on your wrist, Mm -hmm. and so I'm guessing that (laughs) it's not important. You don't have to talk about it if you don't, but I'm guessing that the religion you most align
0: with now is Buddhism. In a lot of ways, yes. Um, I don't really subscribe to any uh, specific religion, but... um, I think you can learn a lot from, from Buddhism. I think that if you're looking for a path of peace and helping people, you can find a lot in Christianity. I think you can find a lot in many different religions. And um, unfortunately, what I saw growing up was people buying into this religion and then being so closed into to the rules of that, that they weren't open-minded and able to look outside of it and be open to other possibilities and I think that this world is full of tons and tons of possibilities, and I don't think that we should really restrict ourselves like that. So, like I said, I don't really subscribe to any religion personally, but, um, you know, I've read the Tao Te Ching, and I've taken lots out of that, but I've read the Holy Bible and taken lots out of that. And I've read the Quran and as well, taken, taken lots out of that. So, rather than looking at a religion and finding what I, I don't like in it, I would rather look at it and find what we can learn from it and find what i can apply to my life personally
1: i I always viewed religion as whatever religion you align with is metaphors Mm -hmm. for how to live your most peaceful glorious life the problem is that sometimes my mother is going to kill me for saying all this but like (laughs) Look, I grew up in a Catholic family, okay, and, well, yeah. and we went to church every Sunday. Okay. And I was an altar boy and CCD, and you didn't do anything for yourself because that was selfish. Right. And to this day, I think there's so many people who were raised in a Catholic type of upbringing that if they know anybody that's doing anything for themselves, they're viewed as vain or Catholic or vain or selfish, selfish, and perhaps Catholic. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I don't, as I got older and, you know, I've been to college enough to learn how to do research and read peer reviewed journals and search for evidence that backs up what you believe, Mm -hmm. not, not just blindly believing something because you read something in the news or you read one group's like it's really dangerous if you just read one group's thoughts on any given topic and you don't also consider the other side you know that that could become really dangerous and i always felt that catholicism is one of those religions where the only story that matters is theirs Mm -hmm. and there's you know we could we could go down a rabbit hole on this and what evidence exists and what doesn't, sure. yeah. and what evidence evidence is actually good evidence versus what evidence is just circumstantial, or or what have you. And you know, I myself, I I, I joke like I'm I'm a recovering catholic and i'm pretty sure i'm going to get 3 emails after this episode from people saying you should really find your way back to christ or uh,
0: and anytime
1: yeah. something's happened in my life i've received some emails from people
0: you should find your way back to christ it's time to come yeah. you know when i mean that's what resonates with them you know? Yeah. And that's fantastic. That That's probably what helps them in their life. And, and you know, they want to help other people with that. And, and so they say that with good intentions. Ultra running's my religion. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you can get outside and spend a couple hours under the sun, moving by your own power, sweating, yeah, you're going to feel pretty good afterwards.
1: So it's this idea of doing big things that you're talking about that kind of became your theme in life, like the theme of your existence, like the thing that you strive towards. Yeah. You want others to strive towards is the, the concept of doing big things because it's the big things that change you. Yeah, for sure.
0: And big things could be, many different things for for different people it could be you know running your first 5k or it could be taking uh taking college courses at night after your full-time job it could be could be anything so yeah i just want to inspire people to you know follow their guts and do whatever it is that they're passionate about whatever resonates with them um If you're in, I mean, take what you're interested in and see if you can make a career out of that and get outside your comfort zone, do your big things. And like I said, big things look a little different for everybody. But if, you know, if there's any way to help, we would like to help you do it. Um, I grew up in. For years, I was looking at big things to do with my own personal life. I uh, came out and climbed a bunch of Fourteeners. I wrote and self-published a couple books. I fought an MMA fight on a dare one time. Like I just wanted to do anything that just rocked my world, that was way outside of my comfort zone, that I would have a story about afterwards. And these are some of the things that just completely define my life. I look back now and I'm like, holy cow, like, I don't know why or how I did that, but I did it. And, you know, my life may have turned just a couple of degrees at that point and set me on a different path five years down the road. And um, it was all very inspirational to me. It just kind of made me who I am. And if there's any way I can help other people um, with those big things in their life, I'd love to be a part of it. So you're like the epic dabbler. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Like And I would consider you in my world I would call you a
1: nomadic bum. <laughs> <laughs> that fits. You're the guy you just you travel wherever to do literally anything. Yeah. And it's yeah. the uh, it's the it's the
0: excitement of just experiencing new things. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, I wish I was only interested in one thing, like ultra running, and I could focus all my time and attention on that and become really good and efficient at that one thing. But for me, that's just not the case. I have What would that gain you, though? Yeah, probably nothing. It would just be... Uh, You'd become a household name to ultra runner. No, nah, I'm not interested in that. It would just be more peace of mind for myself because... You know, I, I just feel feel like this pull, almost like a duality in my head. Sometimes, like, you know, if I don't have as much time as I'd like to devote to my running, but I'm focusing on something else in life, sometimes you feel a little bit guilty about that. Is that common? Yeah, Do you feel that way. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, look like I've had to make I've had to make a lot of hard choices. I'm sure surrounding ultramarathon running. I I mean, I started running ultras when I was 23 and I've gone through a lot of life in 15 years, um, from, you know, since I became an ultra marathon runner, I've acquired two college degrees, married, divorced, I have two kids, I've moved from New Hampshire to Colorado, I've had many jobs, I've started nonprofits and ended them and started businesses and... You know, at the end of the day, I, I decided that it was more important to follow my compass instead of my watch. Yeah. And my compass was, well, this ultra running thing has helped me a lot. It's helped me get through some really dark times in my life. It's mm-hmm. it's this thing that's measuring the test of time, but it's giving me it's given me so much that I see it as a gift. Mm-hmm. And so my becoming a race director full time and it took me a couple of years to evolve my race director mindset. Who do I want to be for people and what do I want this to be about?
0: Were, I mean, were you stuck between, am I going to be a runner or am I going to be a race director? Yeah.
1: Cause it's really hard to be both for sure. Yeah. I've, and, but at the same time it, it came down to, well, the ultimate sacrifice for me would be to provide for other people mm-hmm. what I really feel I got out of this. And so how can I design events That'll help people in ways that ultra running
0: I know has helped me. So what made you choose to start helping other people on their path rather than focusing on yourself?
1: I mean, at first, the whole concept of starting HPRS was friends telling me I just need to start my own business and be a race director. Mm -hmm. And it really took me a few years to figure out my why. Like, why am I doing this? Why is it so important? It can't. Just be because this is my livelihood or I do this to make money because mm-hmm. i don't I don't measure measure success by money yeah. at all right. I don't that's not success to me
0: where's uh, your level of happiness
1: um it's for me it's in happiness for me is really helping other people uh, realize what they're really capable of mm-hmm. and and I think that's why I fight so much for accessibility and equality and Focusing on everybody and not just the elite mm-hmm. in our sport because everybody has a story to tell, everybody has a path they've followed, and that is a very integral part in why they're here. Mm-hmm. I, I think that everybody is in is running ultras because they want a story. They want they need a, they want a big thing. They want a big they thing. They want to do big things. And yeah. they want to have that be a part of their story that they can tell. Mm-hmm one day I ran 50 miles in 12 hours. Right, And and to this day, like, more people are running ultras than ever, but it, you could still go to any crowd at your normal everyday life, your work, and you tell your coworkers you ran 50 miles this weekend, and they're like, whoa, what yeah. do you mean? You know, like, yep. it's a superhuman thing. You're a rock star
0: in the office after that race. And so
1: now you have a superpower, <laughs> yeah. and they want to ask you questions about it, and so it opens a door – for you to have an opportunity to tell some part of your story to other people. And Mm -hmm. it's not the sob story. Right. And so I see this as an opportunity for me to provide people uh, a vehicle to come out and add to their story Mm -hmm. and also figure their story out Mm -hmm. and do good things, Mm -hmm. not just big things. I Mm -hmm. mean, I'm trying to do good things for yourself, do Mm -hmm. good work. On yourself because we're all here for therapeutic reasons. <laughs> we are, especially when you get to our age. Uh, yeah, thinking
0: about that a little bit more.
1: Yeah, what is my? <laughs> yeah, I like, mean, why am I doing all this? We spend What's so, behind it. We spend so much of our time asking, "What is the purpose? Mm-hmm. What is our purpose?" Mm-hmm. And we have to find the answer to that question because without it, it's all for nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's a large part of why we run
0: ultras is we're trying to we're trying to figure out why right and it's like we're all trying to be better people and you know this is our little avenue it might be Mm -hmm. a strange kind of off the path avenue but this is one way that we can become better people and um yeah that path looks a little bit different for everybody but for us as ultra runners this is our weird little thing
1: all right everybody seems like a good spot to do a little more housekeeping again the Ultra Stories Podcast is brought to you by the Human Potential Running Series. We are Colorado's largest series of ultramarathons and the fourth largest ultra series in the United States. Please check us out on the web, www.humanpotentialrunning.com. We'd love to have you come and join us for any one of our events, of which there are ten that span the entire calendar year. I want to tell you about our summer in Fair Play in June. On June 6th, I host the South Park Trail Marathon in half there in Fair Play, Colorado. It's one of the highest marathons and half marathons in North America. The uh, half marathon is heavy at about 15 miles, and the marathon, uh, the distance is dependent on snowpack at that time of year, because Colorado still has a shit ton of snow on the ground uh, in the high country in early June. Um, so that would be the South Park Trail Marathon in half on June 6th in Fair Play, Colorado. Then in July, we switch gears to the Silver Heels 100-mile Endurance Run. It is the second highest ultra, 100-mile ultra in North America, next to only Hard Rock itself. Uh, if you want to run a 100-mile race in Colorado's beautiful high country, through fields of just amazing wildflowers, still some snow, babbling brooks, Just amazing sweeping views of the 14ers that tower all around you. This is the race for you. I'd love to have you check it out. That would be on July 11th. And at midnight on July 12th is the last call 50-mile endurance run. It's the only 50-miler in the West with a midnight start. And you can purchase a $5 commemorative shot of whiskey to go along with your entry. We take that shot 10 minutes before race start uh, as a toast to Bill Buck in his dance hall and, of course, the legend of Silver Heels herself. We'd love to have you check those races out July 11th and 12th, also in beautiful Fair Play, Colorado. That's the Silver Heels 100-mile endurance run and Last Call 50-mile endurance run. And then in August, we wrap our summer up in Fair Play on August 1st. It is the 6th annual Sheep Mountain Endurance Runs. We have a 50-mile and a 50K. Uh, awesome lollipop loop course. Uh, if you it just this is one of my favorite courses. It is rugged and it is truly beautiful and wild. You're gonna run in some areas that seldom see people below the towering ridgeline of the Mosquito Range in Colorado's high country. The race starts at just shy of 10,000 feet. You almost hit 13,000 at the high point. There's a running surface for everybody from a little bit of pavement to dirt road, single track trail barely discernible trail rocks roots nothing bog bridges or whatever there is seriously a little bit of something for everyone out on that course but the thing that really sticks out to me the most uh, would be the lavender the mountain wild mountain lavender that lines the trails that time of year it is literally all that you smell in the air it's just this lavender fields of lavender uh, and the many aspen groves that you run around and through on that course. That would be the Sheep Mountain Endurance runs on August 1st, 2020, once again, in beautiful fair play. It would be an awesome privilege and honor of mine to be your race director. I'd love to have you check us out this year. Again, our, uh, our website is humanpotentialrunning.com. Check us out, sign on up for a race, and I'll see you in the new year. Thanks so much for tuning in. Let's get back to our interview with Adam. Adam, let's keep running. So you're starting your own business, mm-hmm. and this, this has been a great segue. I know it couldn't happen any better, but it's called Big Things Crewing.
0: Big Things Crewing, because so, we want you to do big things.
1: So tell yes. us more about Big Things Crewing, and yeah. where it's where did this start, and where do you hope it goes?
0: Yeah, so this literally started at the High Lonesome 100 this year. With uh, So I was running that – or 2019, I was running that race, and my buddy Robbie was pacing me. And for us, it was just another day in the mountains. We're just laughing and hooting and hollering and being obnoxious and having a ball. And it's like at this point, you know, we've run enough races where we know how to pace each other. We know how to pace other people. You can kind of look at someone and know what they need to get them out of whatever funk they're in and we were just having a blast out there we were just having literally too much fun and i'm not saying the race was all easy but you know by the time i crossed the finish line i was feeling good we're taking pictures and um you know i I remember uh you know my my girl my beautiful partner she she looked at us and she's like you guys should just do this for a living you guys are just too good at this We thought yeah you know i mean that's we could probably do something like that, maybe just help help other people with you know crewing and pacing responsibilities, and then um you know it kind of moved into more coaching as well so so yeah what we're what we're able to do for people is literally um anything from coaching you to your first ultra marathon or whatever your big things is all the way to coming and pacing and or crewing you at your ultra marathon
1: and so coaching there are fees involved with
0: all of this fees involved. Yes. And, um, you know, that's just because we got to keep a roof over our head. Um, in a lot of ways, you know, you almost feel bad charging people for this this knowledge that we have. This is the hard part. This is, yeah, it's sort of hard, but you know, yeah, yes, we we're charging fees, but I don't want that to stop anyone either. If you don't have any money, Shoot me an email. Let's make a trade. Let's figure something else out. I'm not trying to get rich. We're trying. Let's nomadic
1: bum in you. Yeah. (laughs) Let's barter. I mean, let's barter. Come
0: on. I'm going to be sleeping in my truck before your race, anyways. So, you know, what do you got for me? You got a couple bags of chips for me. Let's make that happen. I don't know. Let's trade something. So, so anyways, yeah. Um, so we're able to to help coach ultra runners all the way up through, um, crewing and pacing them in their ultra. And again, um, with crewing and pacing people for their ultras, um, you know, we have a fantastic community of runners, and most people are paced and crewed by friends that, that volunteer their time and effort to come out and, and help folks, and I think it's fantastic, and I've been crewed and paced by some of the best in the industry that have taught me, that have taught me a lot, and um, some of those moments uh, you could never take away from me. I'll remember those to the day I die, and... We are all for, um, you know, friends helping friends and that support system there with with crewing and pacing, bringing your friends or family in to do it. However, if you get into a Colorado race and you don't know anybody out here and you don't have anybody to pace you, we're available to you. And you guys live at, I, I think this is really important is that you guys live
1: at altitude. Yes. And a lot of people who are traveling to Colorado to race don't. Correct. And so there's a lot about running at altitude here that affects everything. You're every part of your race. Mm -hmm. Your body will act completely different at Mm -hmm. altitude. It's not just the lack of oxygen, which, by the way, there's the same amount of oxygen in Colorado as there is in Miami. That's not what's happening. (laughs) There isn't less oxygen here. That's not what's happening. That's not what's happening. (laughs) Um. Yeah, there's just so many biological things that happen with your body beyond the breathing. Yes, as an effect of running at altitude, and so you guys are essentially the experts that can help Flatlanders, <laughs> for sure, figure out the the running puzzle in Colorado because it is different.
0: Yeah, it's different, and you know we've all done it ourselves. I've done it myself. I've come out from Wisconsin to run Leadville, uh, so I know how to do that um but yeah we live at altitude we're fit year round we're able to jump into pretty and much I, any race i know robbie
1: robbie's really yes fit. you know robbie and he's always fit you guys
0: have run a lot of stuff yes we've been around for a while and so if there's a race tomorrow when someone needs a pacer we'd be able to jump in and get them to the finish line how many hundred mile finishes are between you two? Oh gosh i don't even know how many do you have? I think I've done, I want to say nine or ten, probably yeah. around ten. Robbie's around there too. Yeah, so he's probably like, pretty close. You know, so
1: twenty hundred yeah, mile finishes you know, between the two of you. you I know. still have more yeah. than you two combined. I just you've want got to throw like that twenty back. or something,
0: <laughs> don't you? Yeah, yeah you got, got 20, a bunch of them. Twenty-three. Yeah, well, in your early days, you were going crazy. Though, I was. Right? You were doing um, ooh, like, this is a, why three or four a year. I think this
1: is where your services also come in. Is that? We need to combat this FOMO in our sport because it's the gravy train to what? burn out town. What's
0: FOMO again? I forget.
1: Fear of missing out. Oh, okay. And you okay. just sign up for everything because you don't want to miss out. Yeah. And yeah, I was running like four or five hundreds a year <sighs> for the first five years. And it took me about five years before I DNF'd. Wow.
0: That's um, impressive.
1: Um but also stupid.
0: Yeah, also stupid, yeah. yeah. I mean the next person, you know, they may DNF their second hundred. Everybody's a little bit different. Yeah. But, no, yeah. it took me I, I ran a hundred I mean
1: I'd run about a dozen hundreds before I DNF. <sighs> That's all. awesome. And then since then, DNFing is not that big a deal. Yeah, right. I actually prefer it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's easier, isn't it? It, it certainly is. <laughs> I love going a day.
1: I love going to bed at night. And uh, I don't have anything to prove right. and fuck it. You yeah. know, and just yeah. So, a lot of the old schoolers in the sport, there are still some around. I'm one of them. Yeah, yeah. So, I get to be the crotchety old goat that says to you, (laughs) Same here. Paying for crewing and pacing. Whatever happened to us just being supportive of each other? Yeah. What's your answer to that?
0: My answer is I am 100% supportive to people who just want to go out and support their friends or... Um, I'm all about it. Like I said, all my crewing and pacing in the past, you know, I've never paid my friends to to crew or pace me. They just volunteered to come out on their own time. Not everybody has that. Yeah, and got me to the finish line. And um, some of those moments, like I said, changed my life. And if there's any way I can help other people with those moments, seminal moments in their lives, pivotal moments, I would love to be a part of it. And so, yeah, we are offering this service to people, you know, there's dirt bags in the sport that are running these ultras that barely have the money to sign up for a race. It's
1: it's honestly sad. Yeah,
0: and my hats off to them that, you know, they're putting all their hard-earned money into these races. So I'm guessing that that's not going to be our clients. No. But there's people out there with lots of money that just want to do big races and they'll try and get into Leadville and they don't know anybody out here. I hate to say it,
1: but your client's going to be the dude from Houston that works in a high high rise in oil, (laughs) oil and gas, who got in his head he could run Leadville, paid all the money, bought the VIP package and needs a crew. Perfect. So he's got
0: this expendable income that he's willing to expend upon you for your services. Well, like I said, the money is not what I'm concerned with. What I'm concerned with is getting this guy from Houston in the high-rise building to come out here and have an experience that he is never going to forget, one that's going to blow his mind, one that he's going to walk away from, a slightly different person. Would you encourage somebody like that to come out?
1: a month or two before the race to do like a training weekend with you? Oh, guys? for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is that
1: part of what you would offer?
0: I Absolutely. I mean, just depending on what's available, each client's going to be different in, in terms of how much time they have, how much money they have, whether or not they're coming out with other pacers or crew. So you're flexible. Totally flexible. Okay. It's all going to be customizable, just to, depending on the athlete and what their needs are for that particular race. But, um, yeah, when I came out from Wisconsin to run Leadville, I came out two weeks beforehand and pretty much lived in my truck and climbed fourteeners for a, a week and a half before that race. And, that and I, was... I came out the day before, ah, the first nice. time I ran Leadville. So there's a couple of different ways you can acclimate. Yeah. You can kind of trick your body if you just come in the day That's before. That's what I right? always chose. Did it yeah. work?
1: Normally it did. Yeah. I actually DNF'd Leadville. To be ah. fair, I was in the Grand Slam. So it ah. was my third hundred in three months. Okay, And I was just done.
0: Understandably and so, so.
1: Yeah. They call Twin likes the Grand Slam graveyard for a reason. <laughs> um, coming back over Hope the second time. Mm. But, yeah, you know, it's – I wished I had had more help. Yeah. You know, because I was the young, mid-20-something, still in school, can't really afford shit, mm-hmm. you know – Doing odd jobs to acquire f- airline miles from people so I could afford to fly mm-hmm. from New Hampshire to Colorado to run Leadville. Like yeah. I, I really pieced my ultra running together early on. I didn't have any money. And so I was doing yeah. a lot of favors and mm-hmm. odd jobs and promoting. And uh, most of what I learned in regards to race directing was work I did as an assistant RD to acquire – like free race entries so that i could run Mm -hmm. or i'm gonna promote this one race that i'm helping out with so that i can get this guy's airline miles to fly to a race Mm. like so i was doing a lot of bartering myself Mm -hmm. and and trade for for things so that i could afford to run
0: ultras and were you taking time off of work for all this too Oh, hell yeah. yeah yeah
1: time off from work time yeah. off from school yeah um which
0: is all stressful yeah
1: and i didn't make a, a lot to begin with or mm-hmm. you know using um you know when you get a student loan they give you some money for cost of living and i would take some of that to pay for ultras Yep, yep. <laughs> you know like hustling yeah right. i hustled yeah for yeah, sure figured out and it sounds like your business idea here is a lot of that it's you're, it sounds to me like you're more interested in the hustle mm-hmm. of helping others or the hustle of helping people realize what they can do for themselves as well.
0: For sure. Would you train crews and train people at a pace? Would love to. Um, in fact, what we're hoping to do is rather than come into these races kind of under the radar, I would rather come into these races um buddies with the race directors and be able to offer them some sort of videos um you know youtube videos on this is how it crew this is how to pace how's that going it's going great we're getting everything together right now we're gearing up for this year everything's great and we're hoping to hold little seminars for pacers and crew before their duties begin as well at these races just to let some you know I've talked to race directors, and one of their biggest complaints is pacers come into these races knowing little to nothing about ultra marathons, um, and they um, so
1: are—they've been thrown to the wolves <laughs> to help their friends.
0: Exactly, <laughs> and you know, they're—they get into—they might run forty miles. They might pace their runner forty miles. They get into the finish line. Everybody's got food, and they're expecting a plate of food, but they didn't pay for a ticket. You know, there's. And it's just one more person out in the woods going to the bathroom and eating at aid stations and, you know, using up our precious commodities, so to speak. So um, I would like to get all these guys together and just let them know, like, listen, here's kind of our standard of how we crew and pace people. As we're out there, we're picking up garbage. We're not only encouraging our runner, we're encouraging lots of other runners, um, you know, our crew personally is GoProing this whole adventure for whoever our runner is.
1: And that's a that's a that's a neat service.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like I said, just trying to give them an experience, something that they're gonna remember forever. You know, um I mean you you've experienced enough finish lines in your day to know that it they can be some of the best days of your life. And we would love to facilitate that for other people because not not just not just to make that day for them in their life, but, you know, that inspires them to do other things in their life, you know? So you're, you,
1: you guys are going to kind of become like the one-stop shop of trainability and ultra running, essentially. Like, are sort you, of. You're going to kind of, like these videos that you make on yep. how to crew and pace. You and I have, right, look, I'll let the cat out of the bag. We've already talked about this yes. on the side, you and I. And I'm for sure going to partner with you. Awesome. And you guys can crew and pace whatever at our races. And and I want to help you out because I think this is a great idea. And I am an old school ultra runner. Yes. And I am one of those people that's like, well, what about community and just helping each other out? Mm-hmm. Well, who the fuck am I to question that? Yeah. I'm I'm also the guy that used to bitch against corporate culture and ultra running, and how dare anybody make a living off of race directing, and now here I am making a living off of race directing. Like,
0: we all have to grow up at some point. (laughs) Well, honestly, that's what I like about you, John, and that's why I came to you originally, because you seem like more of an innovator in the sport. You don't find what works great this year and then just stick to that formula for for, for the next 20 years. That'll get us nowhere. No, I, I mean... You and I have been in each other's periphery for seven or eight years. True and story. We know a lot of the same people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've ran, I ran your fat asses like seven years ago. I, I remember meeting you way back. So, yeah, just kind of being on the periphery and watching you from a distance, um, I can tell that you're an innovator, you're an entrepreneur, and you're thinking ahead. You're not, you're not looking for that one business model that works so that you can coast. You are looking to push this thing to the next level. And who knows what that level looks like? We we don't even know yet. But you are willing to try all kinds of stuff, and I appreciate I that. And so I, I see
1: you in this big things crewing. Mm-hmm. I see this as an opportunity of I'm one of those race directors. I won't say who the other race directors you spoke to are, but mm-hmm. I'm not the only one that has expressed that, well, man, pacers show up and they get to every aid station and they're eating like – they're you know the first thirty miles they're eating like pigs, but yeah. they didn't pay an entry fee. Right, and so now I need to figure out where that expense. Where am I going to cover that expense? Do I charge pacers money or do I charge the runners more? Mm-hmm. And so I see you guys making these instructional videos that we can share mm-hmm. as race directors. That now it's not me saying it; mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's somebody else because right. God forbid I tell a pacer to fucking quit eating so much Uh, make 10
0: enemies but
1: (laughs) but you guys have an opportunity to say hey Mm -hmm. this is actually what is standard operating procedure for pacers right in our sport and this is what you should be thinking about you guys are not paying customers Mm -hmm. and so you should be self-sufficient to a degree for sure of course they can take water of course they can take electrolyte drink of course they can graze the table but I would like to see a culture where more pacers take on their own personal accountability of I didn't pay for this. It says it on my pacer bibs. Mm-hmm. I didn't even pay for this.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and same thing with crews. Like I think that I think there needs to be I think any number of videos that explain the um, acceptable behavior of crews mm-hmm. at a race. Would greatly benefit not only the runners so that their crews have an idea of what they're supposed to do and what's expected of them because mm-hmm. that's a big thing runners omit when they ask people to help. Mm-hmm. They forget how to train them to do this. This is how it's done. Right. Because most people don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if now if we have a video that says this is how screwing is done, this is what's acceptable – this is what's not to do. Mm-hmm. Don't block the course. Mm-hmm. As a crew member, don't go to the aid table. Don't graze. The food's not for you. Like, you know, it, it's a, you're offering teachable moments to everybody, not not just
0: supporting the runner who's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. ultimately, that's what we're trying to do—is support the runner that's there. But yeah, in you know, we got to get those those satellite areas taken care of and trained up as well. To, well, to if make you're making a video run, on
1: on this is how to crew, and it's an excellent video, mm-hmm. well, oh, I don't need to tell somebody else how to crew. I'll just hire these guys. Yeah. They seem to have it
0: dialed. Yep, yep. Here right. it is. So yeah, that's our plan moving forward. And um, you know, like I said, it's kind of a new thing. We don't have a a, a real business model to follow. But in a lot of Neither ways, that I. means that the sky's the limit, right? you know, so there's no limits on it. So, um, yeah, we're, we're excited. We want to help people. Like I said, we want to help people do big things, and, uh, yeah, we're ready. Who knows where it's going to go?
1: Is there more to this business besides just crewing, pacing, and training runners?
0: Um, sort of. It, it depends on the person and what they are open to. I mean, um, I am always interested in the mental aspect of uh, training for ultra run, running, too, which is something that's quite often overlooked. But, you know, if an athlete comes to me and they feel like, you know, they're fit enough to run 100 miles, but they don't know if they can put it together in their head, um, you know, we might be able to, to work something out there, too. I mean... Um, How does someone train mentally to run 100 so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, really, and it just kind of depends on the person. But you know, and you know, a lot of these ideas I'm sure you're familiar with. But say you're you're running a hundred mile race, you're smiling.
1: <laughs> Some of these stories have come out in past episodes. Uh, I'm ahead. sure I yeah. can only imagine. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, you, if you're running for a hundred mile, you could you can plan a fifty mile race a couple months before that. Um, to get yourself built up. But as far as the mental aspect goes, I mean, like, I mean, really visualizing this race is one thing that that I'm about, I've always been a fan of is just sitting down in a quiet place and really visualizing how we're expecting this race to go. We're expecting to come up against some really, really tough stuff. We don't even know what those are. In my mind, before this race, I'm making up horrible things that could possibly go wrong in the middle of the race, and I'm accepting them, and I'm working through them before I even get to the race. You know, that's that's one of the things we can do. Another thing is uh, you, you can sit down with just a journal or a notebook and just start writing this stuff out. I think that that's really powerful as well sort of um writing slash journaling slash manifesting what this race is going to look like for you you have to visualize you have to visualize the finish line you have to but you also have to visualize
1: the shit hitting the fan too for sure yeah and i think people leave that part out
0: yeah i agree and um you have to approach this like i have nothing else on the calendar today or hopefully tomorrow And this is the only thing I have to do. This is what I trained for. This is what I signed up for. This is what we're doing. We're getting to this finish line. There's going to be some ugly points, and that's what we're here for. We're going to go through whatever it takes to get to that finish line. And um, that's, uh, you know, what we want to facilitate, what we want to help people with. My first 100 was in
1: Illinois, McNaughton Park. I'm familiar. I've been down there. And there's two river crossings every 10 miles. Every 10 miles. Yeah. Wet feet the whole time. You're right. Yep. So, and there was always bad weather in April in Illinois. So I used to train by getting in the shower with all of my running clothes on and just getting completely soaked and then going for a run. And my friend Nate would be like, what the fuck are you doing? And I'd be like... Hey man, when the shit hits the fan at this 100 miler, I want to be ready for it. Yeah, I want to know how to deal with it. I want to know, it may seem crazy to you, man, but I'm training exactly. <laughs> and but no, shit. I'd get to the race and the idea of wet feet, who cares? Yeah, all I you've all been my through it, yeah, I've done that
0: mentally. It's, I've climbed it's not that a problem, mountain. yeah,
1: yep. climbed that mountain. Got so it. you're just moving mountains out of the way.
0: That's funny. Um, so, yeah, us being a couple of old school guys, we didn't have tons of information when we started running Ultras. We did not. It, it, there um, was no
1: Facebook when I started no Facebook, running Ultras. No Facebook,
0: very little online. Eventually, Dean Carnaz's book came out. There were and no that was podcasts? No
1: podcasts. There was only the Ultra List, which yeah. was the emailing list. Yeah. And whoever you just may happen to meet at a race. Yeah. But they never lived where you lived. No. You were always no. way, way far apart, and <sighs> it was hard to find ultra
0: runners even. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to find advice. These
1: crazy kids have it made these days. Yes. <laughs> I remember when Gordy Ainsley ran 100 miles in his high-tech hiking boots and hid <laughs> Gatorade bottles in the woods. <laughs> now you guys got a bottle for every piece of thing you put in and out of your body. <sighs> we're spoiled (laughs) what's the what's the website for for your
0: uh so the website is big dash things dash crewing.com and we have the dashes in there because without the dashes those words together look like something else (laughs) i'll let you use your imagination but you probably don't want to open up those sites if you are in the office
1: <laughs> big things, big things, screwing,
0: big things, crewing with a dash in between each big dash things, dash crewing.com is a website. All right, so don't forget the dashes, don't forget the dashes, big dash things, dash crewing.com. You got it. Okay, That's it. and, same and you're, Instagram. Ex- you're accepting clients accepting clients yep we're coaching we're pacing we're crewing if you're coming out to Colorado we want to be a part of it you're working with HPRS yes so folks want to run one of our races and you need help these guys are available to you and a quick shout out to John's races his races are legit I've done a few of them they are stout Um, if you're looking for a tough Colorado mountain race his are some of the toughest for sure you're not gonna set any prs on that day but you are but you'll learn something you're gonna learn a lot about yourself you're gonna you're gonna wrestle with some demons and you're gonna have a really good day
1: mr nomadic bum where do you you know where do you head for here are you are you content and settling in with this Big things, crewing idea. You're going to, you know, your roots are here in Colorado now. Mm -hmm. This is where you live. You're an ultra runner. You're an outdoor enthusiast, adventurer. You want to help people. Where does it go from here? Like, do you have... Do you have a vision like where do you where do you what do you ultimately want it to look like?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimate vision for this business would be, you know, to to be able to um, have a guiding portion of the business to just to have almost like a van park down at Chautauqua with, you know, a couple in Boulder in Boulder. Yeah. With a couple of ultra runner kids and waivers just ready to take people up and down these peaks and then, also um, helping people out at as many races as possible, and I um, mean you know, ultimately, this could branch out to to many different states to cover many different races as well so um, for right now, this is our big things for sure, but um, you know i'm doing my best to stay grounded and to stay present and to focus on uh, what moment I am in at that particular moment. Um, you know, I'm not perfect. I've been through all kinds of struggles in my life and I still go through all kinds of struggles. And so I am on a, just like a daily path to, to be a better person, whether it's day by day, year by year. And if I can help anybody out along the way, then it's, it's an honor to do so. You just described being human, Adam. (laughs) And it only took me 44 years to, I think here. I know? think some people
1: need to wake up and realize that <laughs> no. we are all human. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. see, ten years ago I didn't have those insights. I was no. in twenty years ago. I was even more of a knucklehead. Than I know that, people
1: so. older than you that still are searching for that insight. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I'm a slow learner, and there's a few so, slower ones out there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Adam, thanks so much for your time, man. That's been great. Thank you. Appreciate it, John. And, uh, yeah, like I said, just want to shout out your races. John's races are legit. So any support you can give him for the races or the podcast would be much appreciated. And, um, yeah, do big things. This is the year.
1: Do big thing. Big-things-crewing.com. <laughs> and... Um, yeah man, I'm looking I'm looking forward to doing big things with you guys in the hopes that we can educate people better and make this a better sport collectively um, for everybody. And so thank you. Thank you, my friend. And I think that uh, what you guys are offering is is needed for a lot of people. It's it's necessary and however we can support you. Um is there a contact page on your website people can reach out and email you yeah if they want. for sure you can
0: reach out and email us um, our email is big period things period crewing at gmail.com sorry for the confusion there but yeah for sure email us reach out if anything that that was said today in this podcast resonates or you're looking for any sort of help or support over the next year in coaching or you're coming to Colorado and you need pacers and crew give us a shout or just a tour guide or just a tour guide or even if you just want to chat with a knucklehead that's been through a bunch of stuff I, uh, I'd love to help you guys out awesome thanks so much for your time Adam thank you sir appreciate you.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much to Adam McRoberts of Big Things Crewing for coming on and giving us some of his time to talk about not only his journey into ultra running, uh, but what he's cooking up here uh, and hopefully moving our sport further into the future again. it's uh, We talked a lot about innovation and innovating and 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 changing, and look, I'm, I'm one of those Old school race directors. I had a lot of opinions back in the day. I still have a lot of opinions today. But over time, opinions change. And mine have certainly changed. I used to be one of those people that thought it was insulting that anybody would use ultra marathon running as a means to make a living. Because in the old school world of ultra running, you just didn't do that. But now it just seems like everybody wants to do that. And Adam's no different. And it's okay. It's okay. Uh, Their business is once again called Big Things Crewing. Um, It's in the show notes. If you go to our website, humanpotentialrunning.com, click on the podcast link on the homepage there, uh, and you'll see it, episode 83. Uh, You want to click on that, and on the bottom of the show notes, I'll, I'll have a link there of some of the other races that we discussed during Adam's interview, as well as a link to the website for Big Things Crewing. These guys are offering expert crewing services to anybody who travels here to Colorado to run in a race. I know, look, every year there's a lot of people that come to our races from somewhere else, and they don't know anybody that can crew or pace them. And they email me looking for crews and pacers, and I I don't know how to help them. Now I do. I've got Adam and his crew. Uh, He'll also offer pacing services. He'll also offer training services. Uh, he'll also – if you're traveling to Colorado and you want somebody to run with in Rocky Mountain National Park, you don't know how to get there, you don't have a way to get there, you don't know where to go, et cetera, et cetera, Adam is your go-to guy. He will be your personal guide on any runcation that you want to take here uh, in Colorado. So uh, check them out. They are the official crew and pacing partner of the Human Potential Running Series, and I'm really excited about that because – Once again, this is something that we're doing here at Human Potential that is, it's really the, I believe this is the first time this is happening in our sport where we're partnering with an entity that wants to give professional crewing and pacing services. I'm excited about it because it's something else that we can offer you. It's something else that we can connect you to that helps you in your ultra running endeavors that makes uh, your success, um, you know, more relatable more uh, possible uh, by having the help that you need and that's that's really we're, we're giving you the help that you need not necessarily the help that you always want but uh, we've got what you need here so thank you to adam uh, for innovating thank you for the time uh, and we're really excited about this partnership moving forward uh, and i do hope uh, it, it proves beneficial to, to many runners in our community and the other ultra running communities here Uh, in the state of Colorado. So good luck to you. Thank you so much, folks. uh, Check them out if you are requiring any of the services that they may offer. Again, my personal email is sherpajohn, S-H-E-R-P-A-J-O-H-N at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about anything you've heard on this episode or any previous episode. I'd love to talk to you about hot topics. I'll talk to you about literally anything. Or maybe you have a story to tell or you know somebody else who does. Let's get them on the show. Let's get you on the show. Everybody has a story, and I would love to hear more of them. So please email me as you see fit. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Again, you can check out our website, www.humanpotentialrunning.com. That's going to do it for this show. Uh, It's been great to be in your ears again for another week. I look forward to next week's episode as well. For Ultra Stories and the Human Potential Running Series, I'm John LaCroix.